All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Lost Empire is a 1984 film. Uh, Mr. Michael Klink, Dr. Alan Barris, Michael Vanderpool here to discuss this film. This has a lot of amazing stuff going on in it. And the one thing I'm going to want to talk most about is Mr. Jim Wynorski, the director of this film, because there's there's some really cool stuff in there uh, with regards to Mr. Wynorski, who has made over 150 B-movies in his illustrious career. And so, whether we like it or not, he is one of the muses of this podcast. It would be him, Roger Corman, and then whatever the hell we call Star Crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Star Crash is the reason why we're here, because we watched Star Crash. This showed up in our list, so can you can you guys guess why this movie came up in a list of sci-fi movies? Uh, it's still a sci-fi movie, and there's a connection we're going to get to later on, a little fella named Fu Manchu. Uh, this is a riff on, to a certain extent, on Sax Romer's work, and which has been made into a couple movies, uh, including the worst episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, according to most fans, uh, The Castle of Fu Manchu. In fact, the end of that episode is parodied, I think, at the end of this movie, the uh, when, uh, uh, what's his name, evil... Uh, Dr. Sindhu is, uh, says he's going to be back at the end. And yes. That's the end of Castle of Fu Manchu. And of course, our heroine questioning that. And then that's when I was looking uh, at the end of this film is when I Googled The Lost Empire 2 and all the Disney stuff started coming up. I'm like, oh, I was wondering if there was actually a sequel. There is. It. The Disney sequel. <laughs> Does it play pretty much direct? Like, I can you walk over one to the other? I don't know. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, because of Star Crash, the science fiction film, Corman, Cheap, blah, 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 all this stuff plays into here. Um, but the interesting thing uh, in Papatopoulos, which is a documentary about Wynorski specifically, Wynorski states he thought that this might be his only chance to make a movie as a director. So he put everything that he thought was cool into it. That's why it mixes multiple genres. You've got ninjas. Cowboys, Indians, laser beams, uh, Chinese stars, and, and then obviously Jim's favorite two things. So we'll yeah. get we'll get to those later. Um, whether or not, well, I guess why this movie was made. That's in, this is interesting. This is an interesting part of the the story, I think, because this film is not a Roger Corman production. This was Jim Wynorski bugging Roger Corman. Hey, I want to make a film. Hey, I want to make a film. And then this, was it Plitt? Whatever the guy's name is. Let me get it right here from Wikipedia. It is Henry Plitt. Yep. Uh, wanted to make, a, and I'm quoting here, uh, wanted to make a low-budget sci-fi action picture as a tax loss. Uh, Jim says, I never knew that when I made the show, so I put my heart and soul into the project. So this is Corman giving Wynorski a chance through one of Corman's connections, and they used some of Corman's soundstage and facilities to make it happen. So... That's how we're here, and I guess it's interesting, too, because this movie was made to be a tax loss, yet actually made money. So, the podcast I was listening to this morning about this... Stop laughing at me. No, I'm not laughing. <laughs> um, th this movie was meant to be a science fiction film that lost money, and it was not a science fiction film, although it had aspects of science fiction, that made money. So, what Wynorski was trying to do, or was asked to do, he did not do in either case. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was successful. Unless you thought that success was being unsuccessful, because that's what the producer actually wanted. So, <laughs> so this was a producer's type thing where 
in the producers, the movie, and the play, they make a play so that it can bomb, so they can make money off of it. Is that what I'm getting? Is yeah, it? that's pretty much okay. the, the, yeah. the scam they were trying to work in. Have you ever seen the producers? I have not. It is good. It Thumbs is up. excellent. I'll put it on my list. First, um... It will now be on our list because of... <laughs> we talked about it because you watched Star Crash. Introduction of, um... Gene Wilder. Yes. One of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, him and Richard Pryor. I love that. You know, it probably wasn't one of his best as, his, as one of the later things. Dancing Hitler's on the left. Yeah. <laughs> Hitler's on the right. <laughs> this movie is made in 1984. And I officially could not believe it when I started watching it. Because it is almost totally what I would expect from a 90s or even 2000s or even more recent parody of the 1980s. Right. It was so good at making fun <laughs> of that kind of movie. And it's kind of dumb in a really self-aware way that I would not have ascribed to an 80s movie. The production values are high. And the production like, you values You can tell he was new. trying to make... A good film here, or a good movie. I don't know what to, I don't know what to call the one or the other. Um, but I, I love to your point. I love the opening shot of the moving eye that ends up settling on the breast and expanding from there. Right then and there, you you know that even though the music is driving some of the whatever the setup, the, the, even this title sequence that we're watching right now is kind of like more action oriented. Oriented. It starts out with nope. It's just a sexploitation film at, at, at the core. Right. And again, this is one of those things where, because there are nude scenes in this, or not, not nude scenes, but naked scenes, topless scenes. Yes. Where they could have easily not been in there. Oh, yeah. And this movie would have been the same. 100%. I'm thinking the prison scene. <coughs> right. The right. prison scene was just gratuitous as all yeah. get out, right? Right. Um, the interesting thing was he treats the lead actress, I don't think we ever see her... Full on. She has all the cleavage going, but never ever full on. I think there's a level of... Even though this is a, a sexploitation film, I do believe that he was still trying to do it respectfully. Which brings us to uh, Raven Delacroix, who is uh, White Star. Yes, White Star. Uh, it turns out, I, I kept making the comparison between this movie and uh, the work of Russ Meyer, which is this weird exploitation-y stuff, but uh, Meyer still has this weird, almost reverence for the women he's shooting. It's really strange to try to quantify. Uh, but it turns out Raven, Raven Delacroix, who plays White Star, uh, was a former, uh, or also was in a Russ Meyer movie. Interesting. So, they, the, again, I think, again, obviously she was cast because she's wisecracking and because she has, well, gigantic breasts. But that's huge the thing that... Land. The huge tracks of land? Huge tracks of land, which uh, would, of course, appeal to both of these auteur directors uh, as sort of a muse. And I don't think the acting is horrible in this film. I think it's about... The, the comparison I kept making was this is like Elvira. This is what... And again, the, the same combination. It's, it's bad puns mm -hmm. delivered with that very obvious... We know these are bad puns, wink, wink. And then also, well, the breast focus. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, though, this is a step above those Elvira, the acting and the puns, too, just because, yeah, the puns are bad. But the acting seems a little bit better this time around. Um, and yeah, so the entire time I've been watching all of these movies, 
I had not noticed the technical aspects like you guys were talking about. Mm-hmm. I noticed the what, WTF moments pretty much the whole time. Yeah, That's the first thing that got me, and it's fun because WTF moments are there. But now that we've been watching these things, I have kind of been noticing where the camera is and right. where what's going on and things like that, which is it's interesting. Well, it's, that going too? It's really interesting to compare this and all the different camera shots and the amount of close-ups and different setups that they have in this compared to Devil Girl from Mars. Yes, mm-hmm. so striking, right? Like, 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 like you can tell that they spent time putting this together. Now the action sequences are a little rough. But first director yes. in 1984 and not the world's biggest budget, again, fine. <laughs> this could easily, and this this will be interesting when I say this because it's just popped in my head, this could easily have been Chuck Norris in this oh. with a serious script. And still the look and feel and the shots the same and been, and been something that, you know, my stepdad used to love that stuff. Pretty, would've, pretty would've damn watched. close. Yeah. If not exactly. <laughs> the thing, oh, so let's, uh, should we just jump into WTF moments because there's about three million of oh them? Oh my God. Oh, yeah. so, I stopped the, writing after a while. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, I'm done. I can't, yes. I can't do this. Um, the one uh, biggest WTF moment I had last night watching this uh, again by myself in my office with the lights off, which got really <laughs> weird really fast. Because um, if, if I would have went home to watch it, I would fall asleep on the couch, as I always do, so I stayed here. Um, uh, this feels like a video game. From the opening crawl to some of the stuff that goes on with the uh, the cutting and the action sequences, it really reminded me of the Ninja Gaiden series, if you remember those, from, from yeah. um, which had cinematics and then action in between. Like, the soundtrack, the shoot, all of it felt like so this idea of us making a video game about Greatest American Hero, yes. I'm like, we're gonna make a, we're gonna make a video game of this, an eight bit version of this. That'd be amazing. It's like perfect, perfect. Could have been more with an actual tournament or whatever it was that they were entering instead of just training. But yeah, yeah. I think there was only one fight in the actual tournament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like they forgot about the tournament. Like, what? Oh yeah, that's right. Let's yeah. have a fight. The third act is almost, or is it the second act? Whatever it is, it's like one big training montage. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And, and and with jumping jacks, of course that was. <laughs> and running and yeah, uh, yeah everything that's um obviously. Uh, so what are your some of your WTF moments here? Uh, I think one of mine hit early. It was mostly WTF, the autocorrect on my Amazon Fire that I was a tablet that I was taking notes on. Uh, <laughs> I wrote down Lemurians and it autocorrected to Keynesians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the ancient civilization that is set up in the crawl that's moving way too fast to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was just reading slow. I'm like, oh, I'm reading too slow. But then I realized, wow, this is really, yeah. Yeah. Now, my wife could read it because she's like a hyper fast reader. Um, but me, I was like, I had to pause it and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the next WTF moment was Inspector Charles Chang. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, very, very, very much stereotypical. Pulled out of any other movie that has a Chinese detective character to reveal some of the expo- uh, exposition and plugged in here, right? What I so I'm gonna skip a WTF. What I love about this movie, okay. what I love is it is so easy to follow. Mm-hmm. Even though I think the plot is a little <clears throat> silly to say the least. Yeah, like it's no, this robbery happened, and then it is because this missing eyepiece, uh, the matching set of the the other part of this dual thing is missing. We have to find that, and then here we're at the point where the brother who is a cop 
who gets injured on the initial bust that opens the film, dies and becomes a revenge film. Then we learn more about what's the requirement of having three people to imp- three females to infiltrate the boss, and then it becomes no. We now have to go find. Like it is so one, two, three, four, and five. And we have to recruit the other people. Yeah, the team, which is a, a big thing in a lot of uh, martial arts style yep. movies. Yeah. So like following this was so easy. It felt so much better than like trying to follow any of these other movies that we've watched. Oh yeah. It felt a bit odd to have the opening scene be that shootouts, and then have. Uh, the main character of Cop Lady go to that uh, hostage situation for the yeah. school, which I got a quote from that anyway. Um, and then after that, she runs into the FBI agent, which then she sleeps with. And then it's the next day. So are we supposed to, to know that the robbery happened at night and then the next day she stopped the hot? You know, it just seemed, it yeah. seemed out of order. Right. Like, editing wise. If, if those two scenes were flipped, I think yeah. that would help a lot. But that was my only real big like editing problem. Right, right. Overall, that I noticed. But for the uh, for the school scene, one of those bad puns. If you're gonna come to school, you better learn how to count. Now, <laughs> she there was nothing with bullets or people really or anything. But it's just a, a, a thing that they said to be funny. I get. I don't. Know. Well, it's because he thought she was out of ammo. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Yes. He said something along the lines of that six, mm. and obviously, okay, he miscounted. I uh, I must have forgotten about that then. <laughs> um, mm. uh, another WTF moment is the, for me is the dime store Jim Carrey character, mm. the the police detective who's got that fire marshal Bob look and feel about him, you know. Yes, and then he ends up being part of the evil plot. Um, but yeah, like that guy right there, whatever his name is. We can uh, look it up. Blackie Dammit. I actually <laughs> looked it up. Before. That's Blackie Dammit? Yes, and he is the dad of Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot oh, Chili Peppers. Okay, yeah, he does. But he does also have that Jim Carrey kind of look and yes. feel from the. <laughs> yes, yeah, he looks that guy. terrifying from, and demented. From In Living Color, which most of our listeners, if we have any, don't know what that is. And if you haven't, go watch it right now. It's completely inappropriate for nowadays, but still. What amazing. is it? This is like. like that's that's the most interesting thing, right? Is that like all this stuff that we watched what less than fifty years ago, forty years ago? It, like uh, this came out thirty five years ago. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's just like so <laughs> blatantly like I don't know stuff like this gets made today, but I don't know how. Um, I don't know. Well, and I think that's the thing with Wojnarowski though. Like so. Obviously, there this Me Too thing that's happening is a, is an issue, and a producer getting a female to come to his room for a part is unethical as all get out. Yes, behind closed doors, especially, and even in out of closed doors, especially. But what I love about Wynorski, and I think why he gets respect, is he's so blatant and honest about everything that he's doing. He's not trying to like you know hide the fact that he's looking for beautiful women who will go topless and potentially date him. Um, in his films. Like, he's so upfront and honest about who he is. He has a level of authenticity that, is it integrity? I don't know, but it's, it's he's not trying to fool anybody. At least it's in the open. <laughs> yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, At least it is transparent. So I was watching Papatopoulos this morning, which is that documentary about how he went to make a film in three days, but then covers kind of his whole career. And he's going through his house where he's got posters full of his movies, and he talks about one of the stars. Yeah, I hate her. Like, just so, like, blatantly, like, it's awesome, you know? There's just a level of um, of um, honesty about him that, that I can respect. 
which came through, I actually talked to him on the phone, was I almost went to work for Wynarski. Because when I found out that he was making the movie in three days, and I was at the time writing and working on the script for uh, at least two or three things that I was writing, and I knew they were going to have to be low budget, I wanted to go see what he was doing to figure out how, like, what could I steal from him mm-hmm. to actually make this happen? It didn't ever pan out, but we had a decent conversation. And he's like, what you see in the film is exactly how he is all the time. It was awesome. <laughs> my life could have been vastly different. Oh my, I, yes. I will say that. <laughs> so other WTF moments that I have. Oh my goodness. They're all over, right? Tessier's eyebrows. Yeah. Robert Tessier plays the, 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 yeah. the thug in this. His eyebrows are different in every single scene. Yeah. <laughs> and always weird and feathery and strange. And then, like, they even, one of the women even mentioned, oh, did he, maybe he waxed his eyebrows or something. The next scene, they're off. And then the scene after that, they're back on. Right. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so is that the same guy from Star Crash? Thor from Star Crash? Yes, that is Thor from Star Crash. So there's another connection. And a God in who knows how many other B movies that uh, Tessier's been in. He's in a lot. Uh, sleeping in full makeup. The yeah. scene where the spider is coming up, right? <laughs> Man! And isn't it hilarious? Like, if we look at the lead female, and I would argue is the lead male, whatever his name is, mustache guy. Rick. Rick. Awesome mustache yeah. guy. Yeah. Like, what people thought was sexy in the 80s and how much vastly different that is now. Like, that period stands alone in, in, in history, right? Of, like, this overly glammy, processed visual. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, another... WTF moment. Pretty much, okay, so the entire prison scene, because <laughs> there's an inmate who has a bondage costume on underneath her clothing, yes. and then she has a whip, yes. which is considered a weapon. Why does this inmate have a weapon? And then they're fighting for reasons, and then, oh, a better movie than this would have been the the story of how our lead person from the prison was put in prison. She stole a crane, picked up a two-car garage, and dropped it on a police station. That would be awesome to see. <laughs> I want to see that. But so is the, that like the Kessel Run and that we never oh, need to actually probably. see it? <laughs> yeah, probably, because that Kessel Run did not work out very well. But there was that. And then the entire scene of the entry for the tournament was them telling him, hey, we want to enter. He said, no, you can't. We already have everything booked. And then they tried to intimidate him. Then they somehow did, and then they hit the the desk, and it broke apart, and he was scared, and it was really, really weird, awkward, and it looked looked like it was tacked on. Yeah. But that's more martial arts movie uh, riffing, too. A little bit, yeah, but that just seemed very much not... Yeah. The, The whole third act of this movie is just, like, weird, because it seems like it's gonna be, like, a Bruce Lee ish thing. Or Mortal Kombat-y, yeah. right? And it's not. It's a gorilla. It's a kind of gorilla suit and laser beams. So <laughs> right. about that, and IMDb with the trivia, there's a, the gorilla wasn't script, wasn't in the script. Um, when the makeup artist Steve Neal arrived on the set with the gorilla suit in the trunk of his car, Jim Wynarski asked Neal to put, it on, put on the suit so he could portray a gorilla in the movie. Like, a, that's just crazy. No, gorilla that, is, that later gets kicked in the genitalia <laughs> by White Star. So, just so we can clear yes. that established. Speaking of which, White Star, the Native American lady, I just wrote down racist Indian portrayal is racist just because, oh my god. 
Like, she calls, she goes Kimoshabi a couple times, and then, um... Something about Tonto. Something, multiple yeah. Multiple Tonto jokes, or multiple Lone Ranger jokes. Yeah. Or multiple... Let's see. Uh, there's just a lot of just Native American puns all over this thing. And it's one of those situations where, again, you would not make a movie with as much casual Native American racism or casual uh, Asian, anti-Asian racism in it as you could back in 1984 where generally as long as you didn't mean it, you were okay. <laughs> right. As long as you weren't actually like denigrating a group directly, it was alright because hey... <laughs> <laughs> and also, oh, comedy. Comedy was different. Then and comedy too. was different. Uh, like comedy, you could get away with anything, um, and that's obviously changing a little bit today, or more than a little bit today. Uh, oh, geez, what else? Uh, the jumping jacks. Oh, what is it with? Well, oh, my my first, the honest to goodness first WTF moment I've had watching all these movies. Right, like some sometimes I'm watching them, I'm like that's stupid. What's going on here? But the first head-shaking WTF moment was when our lead female, can't remember her name, I apologize, goes into the shop at the beginning, and she's walking around with her gun, and she's facing one direction, and is startled, and instead of turning with her face to the camera 30 degrees to identify who's watching her, she turns fully all the way around back like it's a Prell commercial, to get back there. And that was, I, I messaged you right away. I'm like, yeah. holy cow, I had my first W, like, real legitimate moment here. Because, like, there is no logical reason for that other than why Narski wanted to see a hair flip. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Because we right. talked about, is it shot from the, uh, below the waist to, yeah. or anything like that? Yeah, we thought maybe it was supposed to show the rear end, but it ended yeah. up, and it was cropped as a mid-shot. So, like, yeah, it was all about the hair. Hmm. All about the hair flip. Which is crazy. So, my one of my other problems with this entire movie is, if you're going to have a movie set in current time, in current society that we have, you can't make up your own rules for that. Star Crash, uh, Space Raiders, okay. Ribbon Plant, all this other stuff. We have a made-up world with made-up rules that we can do whatever we want with. Yep. But then here we have an FBI agent and a cop dating. The FBI agent pretty much is the cop's sidekick. And then we have all this other stuff where he's a man, but then he's just kind of sitting back and, and, and watching all this happen. And, and it just it seemed very odd for the time and for the, the, the setting. If this were a different setting altogether, right? Then all of these different quirky things, I think, could work out. Well, if this was a if this was a Chuck Norris movie, Rick would be the hero, and he would still yeah. have a mustache because he'd be played by Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a weird situation because uh, Rick is obviously a dumbass. I mean, he's obviously a figure of fun. And because every time he shows up, he screws up in some way. Well, later on, he becomes a little bit more competent. Yeah. But only a little bit more competent. <laughs> he's I mean, the it's one really that told clear. Her about the eyes. Yeah, it's really clear that he's supposed to be a parody of, like, your usual action hero. Yeah. This kind of thing. Uh, White Star. But looking at this, though... <laughs> Turning around, looking at yes. the camera. But looking at this, though, if... Think about it, too. It's kind of, a, like you were saying, ahead of its time, just because the main characters, the heroes, the action heroes, are the women. Yeah. Which is very different mm -hmm. from 
how the women, I mean, they're still kind of exploited a little bit with the nudity and everything, but it's different from how they would have been portrayed in any other Chuck Norris film. But I think the thing that's interesting is, like, they're not, their nudity is is empowering for them. Think about it, right? Like The shower scene, though? Well, yeah, but she's not, they're not doing anything. Like, exploitation in that shower scene where the two females are talking to, two clothed females are talking to one female taking a shower. Don't ask me how that works. (laughs) But exploitative would have been if she would have been washing herself or doing something around that area. She's not touching herself in any, it's not sexual in any way, right? Even the scene, the love scene at the beginning, where it's shot over her shoulders, revealing her naked back, that could have been shot in a much more exploitative way, right? Yeah. So it's even even the um, prison mud pit fighting scene (laughs) could have been a lot more than it was. I don't think that he, I think he had a respect for his female actors here and he was trying to do something legitimate with this film and i think over the years of him doing things that kind of evolved as we're seeing the crotch grabbing scene <laughs> and the uh the the prison fight in particular reminds me of the beginning of uh, faster pussycat kill kill which is uh, of course one of uh russ meyer's movies probably his best known one uh and it's pretty much two tough women who also happen to be hot fighting it out rather than just like i don't know a cat fight or something like that this is a little bit different it's still exploitative yes in its special way especially with the bondage on it yes but it's (laughs) but it's a it's a different angle it's a real it's it's like i don't know it's it's too it's like i don't know it's 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 the same it's the same element in, I don't know, attraction to giantist fantasies or something like that, or the, the art of our crumb. I mean, it's it's dominant women slugging it out and still being kind of objectified at the same time. It's interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, they're being uh, an exploitation film, but I don't think it's gratuitous. Is it? It I kind mean, of is. Yeah. There's a mud pit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they make sure they have to roll in there. Yeah, the prison scene is by far the... And, you know, okay, the full bondage outfit under... Which, the she's in the corset to, yeah, yeah. to start fighting, and then midway through the fight, she gets off of the person she's well, taking to take it off and goes... She means business with taking off the corset. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think this movie actually with... That scene is the one that puts it over the edge. Without oh, that yeah, scene, yeah. I think it still is. Is I mean, it's still obviously chestacular. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that that scene was which we're about to come up on um, as this plays in the background. Just from the very beginning, though, like there's this is so obviously over the top. There is no prison like sexy women's prison. Yeah, <laughs> like like this is so ridiculous. Over the, it's almost like this is a reset to that opening shot of the peephole, right? Because that 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 kind of eyeball or uh, oh, circle yeah. moving in is like peeping, trying to see something, like announcing, "Hey, this is a don't don't get don't think this is too serious. It's not. This is another reset of that. Hey, <laughs> don't get too serious because it's not." And this is kind of a parody of Roger Corman, too. Because Corman directed some women's women in prison movies, either directed or produced, I can't remember which. Uh, and uh, like women convicts show up in one of, in even his older stuff. Uh, 
uh, Swamp Diamonds, if I remember right, it's one of his movies that they did on MST3K that has women convicts. Mm -hmm. They're not quite dressed like this. But uh, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, again, this is kind of riffing on Corman himself. And, of course, the women in prison genre had been pretty well established by this point. And a lot of the classics of that one were like were like late 70s. So. Mm-hmm. What's interesting? More films my uh, my stepfather used to watch. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting though is the entire time we're meant to believe that the woman in the corset and the bondage gear is actually the one that they went to go see. Really? Yeah. She's pretty much winning the entire time. Right. And then at the end, the regular broad lady is the one that actually. Are there any African Americans in this film? Uh, I'm thinking real hard to remember. There's a Latino at the beginning who's yeah. got the knife. Right. Um, we have and, and several Asian characters. We have, and I believe, a fake Asian character as well. Right. Uh, yellow face is still a thing at this time. Again, yeah. the and again in the uh, in the tradition of Fu Manchu. Uh, Fu Manchu is played by Christopher Lee in uh, in Castle of Fu Manchu. Right. Arguably the worst role of his entire career. <laughs> Oh, he was in another one that was really bad. Oh, it's... With, yeah. This will be worse. Yeah. Regardless of what it is, this will be worse. I, I, yeah, this scene, we should just skip this. Either that or pause a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Jim Wynarski. Papatopoulos. Worth checking out. And, and that was one of his synonyms. Papatopoulos. He used to use various uh, um, not synonyms. Pseudonyms? Pseudonyms. Thank you. Thank that you. Makes sense. So, um, yeah, my other WTF moment, and this looks a little bit further ahead. What was the snake doing to, uh, to, White, Indi- Star. to White Star on that table? Uh, I don't know, but uh, it was definitely exploitation. <laughs> yeah, it was very much... Um, it very much reminded me of From Dust Till Dawn, Selma Hayek. Oh, yeah. With yeah, the yeah, snake, yeah. right? I mean, the things. I'm, I would bet Tarantino's seen this movie. Oh, 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 oh yeah, I guarantee. <laughs> God, yeah. So, okay, uh, that, that reminded me just now. Uh, uh, where did the bad guy get his powers? The main baddie. Wasn't it from the devil or something? And yes. supposed to take souls so the devil, every day? Yeah. He would live forever as long as he gave the devil a soul every day. Which is crazy, but... It's a lot of work for, yeah. for something that's not that great at the end of the day. If the devil gave him the powers, then the snake could be from the devil as well. So the snake was I'm guessing. sacrificed? Because she was on a yeah, table, altar. Yeah, it's yeah. some kind of... It's obviously something connected to him and his uh, abilities, I guess we could say. Uh, but he's also a weird, like, super scientist, too, because then we get the genitalia yes. cannon that yeah. comes out at the end and <clears throat> conveniently shoots uh, Blackie Dammit in the crotch uh, and then lights him on fire from that. Um, so we get that as well. And again, that's a that's straight Fu Manchu, not necessarily the shape of cannon, <laughs> but the idea that he would have some kind of death ray lying around. Of course... Fu Manchu would have such a thing. Is so we had talked about earlier, but it seemed like they were setting up a sequel to this movie. Oh, 100 percent because the last line is "I shall return." Well, that and also the the uh, Thor guy. What's his name? Uh, I forget the guy's uh, name. The, Tessier. Yeah, Tessier. Yeah, yeah. Robert Tessier. He even said, "I shall return too." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, I'll, I'll, "I'll shall return" or whatever. Something along those lines. Oh, well, we're almost coming up on it. Let's uh, let's talk about quotes, Alan. Did you have any more quotes? Because I have one, and I want to see if you guys pulled it out. All right, so get ready to censor. 
<laughs> oh, sweet. All right. Two of them. Bull and... <laughs> then, let's see. My absolute favorite, which, again, I am so sorry will not go in the podcast. You're going to swim out of here in your own blood. Dane. <laughs> yes, from the uh, prison fight. Yes, nice. Uh, let's see. I hate robot spiders. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and then probably, and then the other one. Where's Conan when you need him? <laughs> Clinker, do you have any? Uh, that was the only one the quote I had. But after so, a while, I just stopped doing notes and I just wrote this. Movie just enjoyed insane. it. <laughs> I just said it this movie insane. is insane. It is an insane. Well, because he was doing everything right. Yes. I mean, that, that's like. Um, my, I, the pull, I pulled out, Alan, I think this could be the tagline for the episode is, I'm not a spy, I came here for the games. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. yes. I forgot about that. That's yeah. the gal who gets pulled out of the, yeah, and killed. So we have Sindhu, we have Golgotha, we've got snakes. Is this a religious film? <laughs> I mean, the devil's quote, or uh, the devil does get defeated the, fairly easily yes. at the end. So there's that. Some Nazism, just from the the, the red, black, and white of the flag, right? I mean, right. I mean, he's obviously an authoritarian. Yeah. So. I don't know if it's necessarily religion as in Christianity, but more like Eastern, because you have some some similarities between other kung fu movies and yeah. oh, mystical yeah. things and things like that, or mystical stories and things like that. So it seems not necessarily devil and god and angels, but more of ancient evils and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. sacrifices and all stuff. Yep, yep. So what time do you have to leave? One. Oh, so we got about five minutes left. So what, what lessons did we learn here? There's one, two, three, four, five, eight women getting on the plane, but only six get off. If you're going to be the cruel overseer of a horrid martial arts tournament where women are being forced to fight to the death, get some personal grooming help and get rid of those damn eyebrows. That's what I learned. Yes, that's and I am prone to uh, to flyaway eyebrows myself. <laughs> yeah, but he goes from full like yeah. Yes. Like comical sized bushy brows to almost nothing right. in in Oh and scene. get the continuity person to check you out at various points to make sure you haven't committed an error like that. Unless it's supposed to be intentional, in which case it's hilarious. Is this still a continuity and, person or is it the script girl still back then? Uh I don't know what I think it would be script girl at that point. I don't I don't know if they changed that until well into the eighties or yeah. It's I so, learned. Well, go ahead. No, it's just so amazing how, like, watching this film and the amount of time spent everywhere on this, and then looking at Papatopoulos, where he goes into making movies in a movie in three days, um, to where, you know, cutting out, even the crew of two, like, usually they have, like, at least 10 people in a camera department, like, in the audio department. It was one camera operator and one audio technician. No makeup, no hair, no wardrobe. Mm. They all just was like, he's sitting at a table the morning before, so you're going to wear this or wear something like this. Um, where this, I mean, the level of, of effort that went into this, it's amazing, man. Like, it's I a, think it's it successful. Would be on, it would be on the level of a lower budget Chuck Norris movie. Yeah. I'm thinking, uh, gee, something like Breaker Breaker or something like that, where it's not like his, re- the really high end, more glossy stuff he was in a little bit later. Just like straightforward, like kind of B movie stuff. So I think one of the lessons all of his movies were B movies, but still. One of the lessons I've learned with this being Wynarski's first director directorial um, debut, uh, moving into all the other stuff that he's done, is that he would 
there's, there's, how do I say this without getting completely censored? These type of films, there are only a few things that the audience cares to see. Oh, yes, yes. And he has been amazingly successful at stripping down to the lowest common denominator of, of those things. Did he shoot anything that would be considered a, uh, and again, for younger listeners, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Did he shoot anything that would be considered like a Skinamax movie? Like anything everything, which very, is a which is very a, specifically like the like again, not necessarily more of an action movie like this, but very specifically, yeah. Uh, which is a Breastwick. Okay, his whole entire catalog is honestly was pre-sold to um, Skinamax. And let me see okay. if I can pull this up. Uh, so, because this is this will be amazing here if I can show this real fast. Uh, at the back end here, there is a little you know at the end of documentaries, it's like what happened to whoever else, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, which is a breastwork finished on time on budget. Uh, it'll run on Playboy Channel, Showtime, the movie channel, yeah. Cinemax, HBO. And look at this distribution list. America, Canada, Great Britain, Poland, Hungary, Japan, Australia, and South Africa. Wow. So, now, I am going to say this, and I think this is important. It's a little disingenuous to say that this movie was made in three days. Because it was shot in three days. Not the editing. Not the, or the pre-production. I think that's one of the things, like... People freak out on in video. We're like, how'd you spend a million dollars? Well, there's people typically working full-time jobs for months before you start shooting. And that's where a lot of the, the money goes as well in the pre-production. So, yeah, Papatopoulos, definitely worth a watch if you're going to watch anything about Wayne Orsky. Um, just, I just love his, his un, unapologetic approach to who he is and what he's doing. It's kind of refreshing, right? And you know, I will go on record as saying The Lost Empire... Other than maybe Star Crash the first time I watched it, uh, and then kind of lost some of its charm when I watched it again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say The Lost Empire actually stood up to a second viewing. I actually did enjoy it the second time around. Right, right. And it's probably the first movie we've talked about here that I think is genuinely enjoyable, that I would, that I would watch again and go, wow, that's a fun movie. And, and yeah, it's got a pile of problems. Yeah. But it, but it, again, it's not pretending to be other, anything other than right. what it is with how he sh- shoots things. I mean, yeah. the, the the music is so intense and insane, and the shooting, the the, the color grading, everything looks really really good. Um, but then that just opening shot again of the eye, the people looking in on on breasts and everything else along the way, just like it presents itself seriously, but doesn't take itself too seriously, and never asks you as the audience to take it seriously. Right. Which I think is helpful, because if it started out seriously, and then we got those silly moments... 100%. It would yeah. probably take you out more. Yeah. Because you're, in, you're you're expecting something, and then getting something else, and then you're like, It ah. would feel more like Star Crash, yeah. where we get some of the scenes that are truly uh, laughable later on. Like when, yeah. the, like when the, the the giant Colossus thing shows up. <laughs> or, even, or even Galaxina, right. which was, I mean, attempting to do similar things as this, as I would argue, but failed miserably in comparison to something like well, this. Well, that and Galaxina. Cena, I didn't even know it was supposed to be a spoof or a farce. I thought it was going to be like an actual taking itself seriously kind of movie. Last thing, the effects. <laughs> the monster, the guy, uh, uh, Red Claw, or what, what's Red Skull looking guy, right? <laughs> yeah, Red yeah. Claw. Red Skull looking guy. Um, amazing. Yep. That much detail given to... Bye, Mr. Clank. Say bye, folks. Bye, folks. That much detail given to uh, our uh, Audrey 2 uh, Venom 
monster in Forbidden World would have been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and a lot of this, a, a lot of the uh, the attention to to effects or set or anything like that would have would have paid off great in some of the previous ones. Yeah, hundred percent. Wojnarowski should direct everything. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, from Michael Vanderpool and Dr. Alan Barris, thank you for listening to Because You Watch Star Crash. Next time, we'll talk about something else. So, um, say bye, folks. Bye, folks. <laughs>